Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm going to share with you one of the key steps. I mean, really, I think this is maybe the most key step to experiencing the peace that passes understanding, that love that surpasses knowledge, that joy that's inexpressible, that water that Jesus offered the woman at the well. I think one of the reasons Jesus is still so popular today is because we're still looking for that. Most of us, if we're honest, we are still looking on the inside, or it hasn't been all that long ago where we found that living water. And so we, we live life, many, many, oh, so many people live life just empty, uh, and they feel they're unlovable and they're unworthy. And that's an interesting statement because it's half true. But let me show you the half that's not true. Because the Bible teaches God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You are lovable. You may not be lovable in your own eyes. And I get that, that self-rejection, that whole self-loathing thing we do for the sins we committed. We don't love us. But we don't get to determine whether God loves us or not. God loves you. You are lovable in his eyes. And so God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to come to the knowledge of truth. That's 1 Timothy 2 and verse 3. That's his goal. That's his plan. Now, whether we individually accept that or not, well, that's our choice. That's on us. God offers his love. It is there, but he will not impose his love on us. So the only thing that I know of that can stop the love of God from getting to, into our heart is just self-rejection, that bitterness, that, that turning away from God's love because we feel so unworthy. And there's a little bit of a paradox there. We are unworthy but he loves us anyway. And that's what we lean on. That's where faith comes into play. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That That's, yeah, faith comes in and says, okay, let's start changing things up. So I want to give you some Bible examples about this love, and hopefully we can get you to a point, if you don't already, you've got to relate to it personally, and I, this, this unfold as we go. First thing about the rich young ruler, here is a man who was steeped in materialism. He lived for money. He played the religious game on, on a surface level only, but in his heart, it was all about money. It was a, a rote, a very mechanical thing. At, and so Christ looked at him, and the text tells us that Jesus felt love for him. Now, Jesus knew what this man's heart was all about. Jesus knew how this was going to unfold. And likely, of course, this man had a good reputation in the community, but he was rotten. But in the midst of his rottenness, okay, this is what I want you to get. In the midst of his rottenness, Jesus felt love for him. In the eyes of Jesus, he was not unlovable. Now, what, what this man did with the love of Christ, that was his choice. That was his business. He wasn't worthy of love, but Jesus still reached out in love to him. So Luke 19.10 would tell us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that's what he does. He reaches out to us in love, just like he did the young, rich ruler. Now, again, what we do with it, that's our choice. That's up to us. But what I want you to see, what makes this key is as long as you just know about this love as a fact in your head, as long as it's just a biblical fact uh, of some verse you've read, it's not, it's not in your heart yet. It's got to get personal. It's got to get inside of you in an emotional way where you end up loving God back with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Everything that comprises you loves God in return. Now you're going to understand the living water Christ offered the woman at the well. So let's talk about the woman caught in adultery for just a second. That's in John 8, 3. She had been brought before the Pharisees, excuse me, before Christ. The Pharisees brought her. Uh, and they're accusing her, trying to set Christ up. And so they use her as a pawn. 
Now, here we have a woman who's caught in adultery. Don't know how many years she has been pursuing this kind of life. We don't know much about her. She's a, she's a user of other people. Uh, she's into full-time prostitution. She's no better than the men that are using her. They're down there on the same level, pretty much. And she has partnered with Satan to take something beautiful that God created for marriage, and she turned it into a profit machine, so to speak. And she and the rich young ruler at heart are exactly the same. They're both in love with money. Now, while the community will respect the rich young ruler, they're going to throw her under the bus and use her as a pawn, and they don't care about her. Now, that's a big double standard. I get it. That's wrong, but that's the way it works. So the woman's put forth, and they ask Christ what to do. And, of course, Christ says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And then he stoops back down. And after a few moments, he stands back up, and he asks the woman where her accusers are. And she says, they've all left. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And Christ said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, what do you do with that love? I kind of wonder what she did with that love. I wonder if she changed her life completely. Or did she just go back to prostitution? Don't, don't have a clue. But the point is, you can't just hear it with your ears. It can't be just a fact that you know, like you know a hundred different science facts or a thousand different historical facts. It has to be felt personally in your heart for it to make the change that we're looking for. Yes, we're looking for that peace that passes understanding, that love that surpasses knowledge, that joy inexpressible, full of glory, as 1 Peter 1.8 would say. And we're not ever going to get it by memorizing emotionless facts. It has to be a felt experience. Now, it's got to be built on the book, chapter, and verse. But if you're not feeling it in your heart, you're never going to know what that living water is. Now, let's, let's talk about the woman at the well for a moment. That's in John chapter 4. starts around verse 17, a little earlier. And this woman had been married five times. She was a five-time divorcee. And now she was just living with a guy. And yet she was included in John 3.16. In fact, Jesus began his little local mission there with the Samaritans through that woman. You would have been hard-pressed to find somebody lower on the scale, on the ladder, than that woman to begin your ministry, to send that initial message into the village. And yet, that's where Jesus began. And we have a better idea of what she did with that love. Now, the question is, can you and I do the same? with that very same love that he offers us. That's the challenge. That's the key. I'm going to say it again. As long as it's just a historical fact, and long as the love of John 3.16 is just a childhood memory verse, we're not going to get it. It has to be an emotional response to that love that God offers us. Now, let's talk about the prodigal son for a moment. So the prodigal son said, Dad, give me my stuff, and he went off to another place, and he squandered all of his living all of his money on, on loose living. And the older brother adds a little detail to it there in Luke 15, 30. And he talks about the younger son who devoured all his father's wealth with prostitutes. That's pretty low. That's living an ugly life. But when the prodigal son came to his senses, Luke 15 and 20, and returned to his father, who in that parable represents God, God offered him his love because no sin, let that soak in a second, no sin is too tough for God. So what do we do with that love? There's the key again. Am I just going to read about it? Or am I literally, literally going to let it into my heart? And that's an essential key. Let's talk about Saul of Tarsus for a moment. He was a blasphemer. 
He was really messed up in a lot of stuff. I'm looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Uh, and yet, even though he was a blasphemer, and I love that little phrase there because so many people get hung up on blasphemy being unforgivable. Paul was previously a blasphemer, but he was forgiven. And Christ came to save sinners like Paul. And this is where he says he's the chief of sinners or the foremost of sinners, depending on what translation you're using. So Paul had deliberately persecuted Christians, deliberately tried to crush Christianity. And Jesus reached out to Paul in love because no sin is too tough for the love of God. Now, here again, here's the point. What are you going to do with that love? What have you done with that love? Is it just a thought? Is it just a Bible story? Is it just a fact you've heard of? Or is it a feeling that you receive and return? There's the key. Let's talk about sinners in general for just a quick moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can read verse 9 through 11. Verse 9 and 10 list of sinners. Uh, several of them are sexually immoral. And there's some swindlers in that list. And in verse 11, Paul writes, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is what Christianity is all about. If you are steeped in sin, whether it is kind of socially acceptable on the surface, like the rich young man, or if it is socially looked down upon, like sexual sins, wherever you fall in that whole spectrum, you're what God's looking for. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Uh, once we can put our faith in that very clear Bible teaching and receive it in faith, now we've opened up the door to that peace that passes understanding, that love that surpasses knowledge, and that glory inexpressible. And then we'll do one more verse. That's Titus 3.3. 3. And this is just about sinners in general. And Paul is writing to Titus. And he said, For we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And he goes on to talk about how they were saved by the grace of Christ. And I'm going to point out to you that really the most dangerous sin are not the predominantly sexual sins that God used to illustrate his love. And i got to do a little side here. I think he gives us those more offensive sins to show us the greatness of his love. If he were just showing us himself forgiving a little rude behavior here, a little inconsideration and, and a little selfishness, I don't, I don't think we would, would really get the depth of it. He goes to the gutter of humanity and says, I came to save them. But the most dangerous sin is just the sin of a moral pleasure. Now, let me say that again, because you're going to, wait a minute, preacher, you said what? I said the most dangerous sin is the sin of a moral pleasure. Simple moral pleasures that distract us from seeking first the kingdom of God. Those are the ones that are going to get so many people. Because they look at themselves and go, look, I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not a bank robber. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. And yet they're not seeking first the kingdom of God. They don't love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. They're not really doing the will of the Father. But no matter what sin you get entangled in, no sin is too tough for God. So now, what do you do with the love? That's your call. Uh, it can't be just a fact. It has to be an emotion that you're feeling in your heart and rejoicing and really something that's moving you to draw closer to God. And he, of course, James 4, 8, wants to draw closer to you. So, so let's see if we can drive this home a little more. We've read some good Bible passages, so we have a really good Bible foundation. Can you feel it for you? 
once if, if you're not getting what I'm talking about and you're not really going, yeah, I felt it. I've had it for months or years or whatever, but you're going, that sounds neat. That's what I'm looking for. Then, then wherever you're at uh, and, and where God is, there's something between you keeping that love out. And, and that thing that is in between you is the journey you need to take. Now, now maybe it's just self-rejection, which I think most of it is, over secret sexual immorality hiding in your past. Um, maybe it was premarital things. Maybe it was some wild college years. Maybe it was outright prostitution or something or looking at porn, which is extremely common nowadays, or bringing porn and other inappropriate sexual things into your marriage, sexting online, hookups, emotional affairs, you know, just cheating on your mate. There's just so many things. And, and when we commit these sins, we hate ourselves for it most. And in that self-loathing and that self-rejection, we put up a barrier that keeps the love of God out. And what I'm telling you is the love of God can get through that if you let it. That's the only thing that's holding it back. Nothing is too tough for the love of God. He reaches out and he offers healing. I don't care what you've done. He doesn't care what you've done. He wants you to repent, turn to him, and start building that relationship with him. Past is, if you let it go, the past is irrelevant. So think again, uh, you just have some ugly things in your past. Again, things you maybe not don't want anybody to know. Uh, maybe you had an abortion in the past, or maybe there's child abuse. You, were, you spoke horrible to your kids. You were inconsiderate of them. Uh, maybe they're just secret hate and resentment that boiled in your heart. Uh, guilt and shame just for being a, a bad parent or a bad mate. Just again, we're getting back really to a lot of self-rejection. Point is, no sin's too tough for God's love. He's reaching out to these two going, I got something better for you. And all we got to do is agree, have faith and start walking with him. Let's do another category. Let's talk about alcohol and drug abuse. Could be weeds, drugs, legal, illegal drugs. Uh, just, just feeling inferior because you need drugs to get through the day. You know, like feeling broken. It may be perfectly legal drug and you've got a prescription for it and the doctor keeps an eye on you, but you're just thinking, you know, if I was a better person, I wouldn't need this prescription. And there again, that, that self-hate, that self-loathing, that, that self-rejection starts coming into play. And, and when you look in the mirror, you don't even like looking in the mirror. You don't even want to look in the mirror. If you didn't have to look a little good, do a little hairbrushing or something, you wouldn't look in the mirror at all. That's self-rejection, right? But it's not too tough for God. God knows every dirty little secret in your life. He knows the dirty little secrets you never told anybody. And still he reaches out for you through Christ because nothing's too tough. He wants more than anything to take your hand and lead you into that happier, more fulfilling way of life. Now, one more category, and then we'll start to wind this thing up. Some folks reject themselves and feel like they're unlovable and unworthy just because they're jerks. You know, they don't have a legal record. They haven't done anything really crazy out there. They've never really crossed the line as far as society is concerned. They're just a jerk. They've all they've done is look out for number one and they know they're selfish jerks and only people they care for of themselves. And, you know, they'll play the game and they'll do a little couple of nice things here and there. But they have never, ever, ever learned the secret of Acts 20, 35, where Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. That very verse just blows their mind. They can't even understand that it is conceivably possible that they would get more joy giving than receiving. The only person they care about is themselves. And so they play the necessary games to get along in their little social circle. And they just see other people as, frankly, inconvenient. That's pretty ugly. That's really ugly if you ask me. But it's not too tough for the love of God. God looks at that cold, selfish, self-centered heart, and he wants to save it too. Now, the question is, 
Can a person in that predicament stop hating and rejecting themselves long enough to actually receive the love of God in their heart? Or let me word it a different way. In Luke 15, 10, he tells us that there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Now, can you sit there and listen to this podcast and go, yeah, that's me. The day I gave my life over to Christ, I put Christ on in baptism. The angels were jumping and shouting and rejoicing in heaven because of me. Or do you read that verse and you go, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents except me. And if you have that little unspoken except me there, that's the block, that's the barrier that's keeping you from the love that God wants you to enjoy in your heart. So here, here's the path. We've got it, we got it pretty clear. We want to be a new creation in Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And now here's the way to walk in the love of God. Not know about it, not hold it as a fact, to live in it, an experiential fact. So if you're going to change into this new living water, this peace that passes understanding, the love that surpasses knowledge, the joy inexpressible, if you're going to change, you must do something you've never done before. And for many of us, that is to learn to forgive ourselves. Now, we'll make one other comment, and then we will wind it up. If God is willing to forgive us, and everybody who's studying the Bible go, yes, God's willing to forgive anybody. If God's willing to forgive us, then who am I? Who are you? Who's anyone to veto God's forgiveness and go, but I'm not worth it? No, you're not worth it. That's not the point. We don't earn his forgiveness. We receive it by grace. And we let his love flow into our heart. And I know that none of us are greater than God. None of us have the right to veto God's love in our life. If this kind of spoke to you, if this kind of touched your heart a little bit, share this podcast wherever you do your social media. If you feel moved to leave a comment, love to hear back from you your story of its success or if you're still bumping into a little challenge and maybe I point you in a direction to find some relief, that would be great. I really do believe that together, you and I working in simple ways like this can make a difference in our own personal lives and even the lives of our community to a point. And as always, I hope you have a great day.